Protecting your heart is key to long-term health for us ladies, but having a healthy heart requires more than just exercising and eating right. Research shows that the ubiquinol form of CoQ10 promotes a general heart health, works as a powerful antioxidant, and improves the quality of life in women over 40. For all adults over 40, taking a ubiquinol supplement is one of the best ways to fuel your heart, lungs, and other organs. To find out if ubiquinol is right for you, visit ubiquinol.org. That's ubiquinol.org. U-B-I-Q-U-I-N-O-L dot org. From Outside's Healthy Living Group, this is HLG's Talk Healthy Today podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Davis. I got interested in living a healthy lifestyle when I was 17. Prior to that, I would live on as much junk food as I could possibly get at my friends' houses because my mother was a health food nut. Every bit of allowance I spent on Girl Scout cookies. And then something clicked for me when I was 17. I discovered that unathletic me, who was always the worst at any kind of sport, was really good at swimming. And when I discovered and tapped into something that I was good at, it got me excited about living a healthy lifestyle. So since then, I've been in the health field for many years, and I have a master's in public health, and I've always been interested in how can I help other people live a healthy lifestyle. That's why I work in health media. And I love to work with people who are also working in what is called lifestyle medicine. And I have got the perfect guest for today's show because we're talking about all the about the importance of lifestyle medicine, especially in these times we live in. I've got the fantastic Beth Frades, MD. Elizabeth Beth Peg Frades, MD, is a pioneer in lifestyle medicine education and an award-winning teacher at Harvard Medical School, as well as at the Harvard Extension School. At Harvard Medical School, Dr. Frady's passionate teaching style has earned her several excellence in teaching awards for work in multiple preclinical courses covering topics including nutrition, the musculoskeletal system, the central nervous system, the endocrine system, and an introduction to the medical profession. Working one-on-one with clients is what Dr. Frady's does best. She connects with people and meets them right where they are at at that moment. After establishing a personal connection, Dr. Frady's can identify what her client needs to make progress in adopting healthy lifestyles. She believes in the power of implementing realistic small changes to create big results. Dr. Freitas is also one of the authors who did Paving the Path to Wellness Workbook, Lifestyle Medicine Handbook, An Introduction to the Power of Healthy Habits, Lifestyle Medicine Handbook, An Introduction to the Power of Healthy Habits, Second Edition, and the Teen Lifestyle Medicine Handbook, The Power of Healthy Living. Her first book, was Life After Stroke, The Guide to Recovering Your Health and Preventing Another Stroke. Dr. Frades, welcome back to Talk Healthy Today. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. It's so nice to have you back. We always have such great conversations. As a matter of fact, I met Dr. Frades at a conference back in like 2001 when I first moved here. And she made an impression on me then, and I thought, that is so cool to work in lifestyle medicine. So let's jump into that. First of all, what is lifestyle medicine? Lifestyle medicine is a burgeoning area of medicine that focuses on using prescriptions for delicious, nutritious food to create a healthy eating pattern, routine exercise, sound sleep, seven to eight hours, and social connections, high quality social connections, stress reduction through multiple means, but finding things that work for you. And lastly, avoiding risky substances. 
Yeah, that is all so important. And I think for me, like I said, I tapped into the exercise part first and then they got me more into the nutrition and then it kind of built into all of those things. I personally like nine hours of sleep. when I can. Um, People who listen to the show know I won't go on my diatribe, but I'm very, very uh, dedicated to to my sleep schedule. Now, what drew you to lifestyle medicine? When I was 18, my father had a heart attack and stroke, and he was only 52. Oh, wow. At that time, I was a freshman in college and going to be an economics major to take over my dad's company, which his dad started. So it was going to be the third generation of pegs. And I was devoted to this because dad was my hero and mentor, and I wanted to work with him. And then everything turned upside down when he was paralyzed on his left side and actually had to change his work schedule, his work priorities, his purpose. Fortunately, after a year of physical therapy and occupational therapy, he did regain close to full motor movement, except for fine movements in his left hand. Otherwise, you would not have been able to notice that he had suffered a stroke. Moreover, he didn't want this to happen again. And this was 1986. The programs available at that time in lifestyle medicine were Nathan Pritikin's program, the Pritikin program, and the Whitaker program. So he actually did both of those programs. They were intensive lifestyle medicine programs where you traveled to the facility, you stayed for about two weeks, and you learned about healthy food, healthy food preparation, you eased back into exercise got into a routine in those 14 days. And you also focused in on stress resiliency techniques, deep breathing, taking short walks, talking things through. So it was that experience watching dad suffer in that way and watching his physiology, biology, his brain change causing the stroke, but then the way he was able to recover and the way the body recovered, I I found it fascinating. So I actually changed majors to psychology and biology at that time. I gave up the dream of being the next president of the company uh, in New York City and started dreaming of a career in medicine, specifically one that worked to help people reduce their risk of a heart attack and stroke because I did note how devastating it was. And although I didn't go through it, my dad went through it. When you're a tight knit family, as we were really, it impacts everyone in that family to some degree. So that is what led me into studying at Mass General Hospital with the cardiac rehab team there I looked at mental stress in the heart. We replicated a study from the New England Journal of Medicine. Rosansky and colleagues had published, and we looked at how serial seven subtractions would impact the EKG of the subject. And we saw that those subjects that were coming to be evaluated for the heart disease, so they were going to have a routine stress test on a treadmill, as is routine, They were signed up for that, and then they agreed to be part of this study. And we looked at their 
heart as they were on the treadmill, looked at their heart as they were doing the serial seven subtractions and found that there were EKG changes similar in both bonded to that mental stress in a significant way. And I was a believer right then. I believed before, but when I saw it with my own two eyes, I was a believer. Now, back in the late 80s, if you can remember, Lisa, not everyone embraced this concept that mental stress could change your physiology. Her Benson here in Boston, in his Mind Body Institute, he was doing pioneering work in the 70s here in Boston showing how meditation could change your physiology and trying to help people to stay into a parasympathetic system tone and avoid the chronically stressed sympathetic overdrive that so many people were in. But I was hooked at that moment that was in my sophomore year of college. And then when I went on to Stanford Medical School, I studied diet and how diet impacted endothelial cells, the cells that line the blood vessels. We looked at diets that were high in saturated fat versus diets low in saturated fat and high in nitric oxide, so high in walnut. Uh, This was animal research at the time, and we did see that those animals that consumed the low saturated fat, high nitric oxide diet had healthier endothelial cells. So that was another piece of information that kept me engaged in this and really wanting to learn more, study more, and bring it to patients. And and that didn't happen until after my internship at Mass General, then my physiatry residency at Spalding Rehab Hospital, all affiliates of Harvard Medical School, where I realized that I needed to get the information we learned in medical school out in a way that the public could understand, that patients could understand. It was after I did a study during my residency to look at patient and caregiver knowledge after stroke. So remember, I very tuned into the caregivers and the loved ones of stroke survivors and and other patients who have suffered traumatic injuries. So what I learned was only about 50% of patients and caregivers understood why the patient had the stroke and what they needed to do to prevent another stroke. This to me was a calling. I needed to fill this gap. So that's when I co-authored the book, Life After Stroke, A Guide to Your Recovery and Preventing a Second Stroke with some colleagues at Spalding. And that's when I did a deep dive into exercise, a deep dive into nutrition, which wasn't part of my medical school training. So it was all new to me, and I loved it and became fascinated by it. And in 2007, one of my colleagues, a physiatrist at Spalding, said to me, Beth, you're doing lifestyle medicine. I had never heard of the term, and it was just coming into its own. There was the American College of Lifestyle Medicine that was founded in 2004. More physicians around the country were becoming aware of it. In 2007, I want to say there were were less than 100 members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. It's very small, but passionate people. And I do want to say at this point, which would be almost, what, 15 years later or so, 
We are 7,000 plus strong members of American College of Lifestyle Medicine and that field has really taken off. And it really has become my passion, my purpose. I've devoted the majority of my career to creating curriculum around this for medical students, for residents, for physicians that are attending physicians. So my passion and purpose is that hopefully we will be able to one day have everyone understand lifestyle medicine, know the guidelines around exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress resiliency, social connection, and risky substances. So much so, Lisa, I think you'll enjoy this. I created curriculum for teens. Oh, I do. I love that. And there's a teen lifestyle medicine handbook now, not just a, a lifestyle medicine handbook, a teen one. And we have a whole curriculum available right now. If anyone listening wants to start learning, and maybe even if you have some experience in healthcare teaching lifestyle medicine, if you go to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, you'll see LM Lifestyle Medicine, LM 101 curriculum. And it is a deck, well, it's 12 decks of PowerPoints that have 150 to 200 slides in it. And it mimics and follows along with the handbook, the lifestyle medicine handbook, so that people can learn and teach with this consistent curriculum. So we did the exact same thing with the teen handbook. It's so exciting. There are many colleagues working on medical school curriculum, some of the established medical schools like Harvard Medical School and others have a curriculum that is really jam-packed. It's hard to add new things in, but there are new medical schools that are being created and they are having an easier time putting these pillars of lifestyle medicine, the six that I mentioned, exercise, diet, sleep, stress reduction, social connection, and avoiding risky substances, putting those pillars into their curriculum. It's very, very exciting. And then residency programs can use the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has a lifestyle medicine residency curriculum that, that colleagues have been working on for years. And many residencies have used them with great success. And it's actually being updated. I'm helping with one of the one or two of the modules in that curriculum. And it's an exciting place to be for me because I feel like if we can all understand how our movement how what we consume, how we talk, how we sleep, how we interact with others, and how we get energy, the natural sources of energy can really have a huge impact on our quality of life. And that's my focus. It's so important. So I, there was two things. How did your father feel about you going into it. I, I could imagine there would be a mixed emotion of, wow, she was so impacted by what happened to me and it inspired her and she wants to help others, but also, oh, dad, the business, or I don't, maybe I shouldn't project, but that's kind of what came to my mind. Right. You're good at this. I love these interviews with you because you asked me questions that nobody ever asked before. And they're always important ones. That was difficult for me, very difficult for me, because it had been 18 years of my dream to take over the business and our discussions of how we would work together in the business. I even worked there during the summer before this happened to my dad. So it was really difficult. And I do remember going into 
the den in our home and he always sat in this one blue chair in the den. It was, it was his chair. He'd do his paperwork and he would listen to the news stories and radio shows in this chair. And there was a little wooden chair next to it. <laughs> I would sit in the wooden <laughs> chair and he was in the big wing chair. Anyway, I went into the little wooden chair and I said, dad, I, I have something to share. And of course he you know, put his glasses down and put his papers down because he knew that it was going to be something important if I start that way. And I did say to him that I think that economics isn't for me. I didn't enjoy the classes. I had already done one year at Harvard with economics. I didn't enjoy Act 10. I, it wasn't interesting to me. And I started looking through the course catalog and I was drawn to the biology and the psychology courses. And I said to him, my interests, my true interests at this point in my life lie in biology and psychology. And I, I don't think I'll take over the business and that's hard for me. But if you really feel that it's important that we carry on your dad's work that he started years and years ago and you've carried the torch for with your brothers for years. If it is very important, I can make it work. I can, I, I love numbers. I'll be fine. I'll get through the economics. It'll be fine and I can do it. And it was really great of him, wonderful of him because he just said, at this point, I understand that it's your life and you need to do what excites you and you, I want you to be happy and I don't want you to have a heart attack and stroke. And if you're fascinated with biology and psychology, you should pursue that. You could always go back, get your MBA. And if you really wanted to take over the business later, but at this point, if your heart tells you to be pre-med, then that's what you need to follow. You need to follow your heart. So I listened to that and followed my heart. And I, I've always been so grateful for, for my dad. He was ama- just an amazing man, a person, father. So fortunately, I had him in my life as a role model. And I do think he enjoyed reading my work. I would always show him my articles, my thesis. And, and I think he, he enjoyed learning. <laughs> he enjoyed learning about mental stress and its impact on the heart. And I'll just mention that working in New York City and running your own company on Park Avenue is stressful. He really read with careful uh, attention the parts about stress and how it impacts the heart. So it's funny because Lisa, I always wanted to work with him. Yeah. Obviously, right. I didn't get to work with him, but oddly I realized about a decade ago. So really say 2012 when I was heavy into giving continuing medical education courses, when I was really, really striving and and thriving in this career, I realized, you know what? I am actually working with my dad in a very strange way uh, because I bring him in to pretty much every conversation about unhealthy habits turned to healthy habits. And when I give CMEs, big conference talks, and there's maybe a thousand to 2000 people say in the audience, someone will generally come up afterwards and say, I am your dad. Or, well, they're not really bad. I'm just like your dad. And, or my dad's your dad. Or my boss is your dad. Or 
something. And so I do feel like even though he did pass away in 2012, and that's interesting, that's the number that I think of when I put it in my head that I was actually still working with him, was uh, this idea that he's inspiring others through the story. I hope, I hope. Oh, yes. So that uh, we also started the Donald A. Pegg Award at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. My family put together an award in his name where students apply and they can start a lifestyle medicine interest group at their school, at their medical school, at their healthcare professional school. And what that is, is a parallel curriculum and they can learn about the six pillars. They have physicians, faculty members that know about exercise, come in, teach them exercise during lunchtime. So they'll have a healthy lunch. And ACLM, you can you can apply for funds for the healthy lunch. They have their healthy lunch. They'll have their information. They'll bond together. Many of them that come want to work and find ways to put lifestyle medicine into their medical careers. So they start building community. They join the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So in this way, every year, we do grant five awards to students, and it's the Donald A. Pegg Award. So... He, he really is still influencing. Hi, it's Lisa. Just wanted to pop in real quick and just say I am doing a book giveaway for my book, Clean Eating, Dirty Sex. It's a cookbook, a memoir, a healthy lifestyle guide. It's not about dirty sex. It's a play on words. And anyway, it's really about overall health. All you have to do to enter is just sign up for my monthly newsletter. It takes a second. Just your name, boom. Your email, boom. And... You're going to get great information, great tips, great recipes in the newsletters, as well as find out some big, exciting things that I have coming up that you don't want to miss. So go to lisadavismph.com today. All right, back to the show. The other thing, when you were talking about your experience, you mentioned the word physiatry. Yes. And I remember when we first spoke and I thought, am I spelling that? Is she saying physiology? I'm very confused. So what is physiatry? That's so funny. I remember that. <laughs> you have such a great, a great memory. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out because there's probably a lot of people that don't know what physiatry is. In fact, some people confuse me at, for a psychiatrist or a podiatrist because the term physiatrist is really not mainstream. So physiatry is one of the newer specialties of medicine, meaning it came about in really the 1950s when we say newer because, of course, cardiology and uh, gastroenterology and neurology have been around much, much longer. Physiatry came into being really after the wars and people were coming back with traumatic brain injury, with amputation, with spinal cord injury, and there's no real home for them medically. So physiatry took them in. And what is physiatry now and how do we define physiatry? Physiatry is a field where physicians take care of patients who have had trauma to their central nervous system or musculoskeletal system. So trauma to the central nervous system could include a spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, stroke. To the musculoskeletal system, this could be anything from an amputation to back pain. Physiatrists focus in on non-surgical 
uh, ways of handling, managing, and helping to relieve back pain. So it's a non-surgical specialty. Now, some physiatrists for pain may think about injections for patients, medications for patients. In general, though, if there's a surgical issue, we would go to orthopedics or refer out for the surgery because we are not trained in surgery, physiatrists. Now, I want to talk about your amazing workbook, Paving the Path to Wellness, and you talk about the importance of reflection when it comes to paving this path. Also, I took your great questionnaire, Paving the Path to Wellness, printed one out for my husband and my daughter, by the way. Oh, that's <laughs> fun. Yeah, thought that could be a fun family thing to do. But yeah, tell us about this and the reflection. Okay. I love the fact that this book is out now, Paving the Path to Wellness Workbook. It's a guide to thriving with a healthy body, peaceful mind, and joyful heart. I'm so pleased that I was able to collaborate with Amy Commander and Michelle Tollison, two dear friends, physicians, colleagues, to put this material out for the public. Again, if you know the initial story, which you do because you asked me about it, you know that I've been working, well, for decades, uh, trying to figure out how we can relay information to the public so that they will understand what they need to do. There's a second step, though. <laughs> you need to understand the information, then act upon the information. And that's where my work in coaching and behavior change and motivational interviewing, which I've done since 2008, really comes in. And that's where this paving the path to wellness was born back in 2010 or so. My first group in paving the path to wellness was at Spalding in 2012, where we had stroke survivors and caregivers. I'm sure you're not surprised. That was my target audience. Work in paving the path to wellness, trying to understand the value of exercise, nutrition, stress reduction for the patient and the caregiver. What I did was work with people in the six pillars of, of lifestyle medicine, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress, resiliency, avoidance of risky substances. And I was getting wonderful results and they, the patients were making transformations. What I noticed was that when stress came back into their lives and when something like a death of a loved one, moving, losing a job, it would put people off kilter again. And I thought we need more. We need more than a shift in lifestyles. We also need a shift in mindset and we need reflection and we need goal setting. We need to, we need to tap into our sense of purpose. It may be different pre-stroke then post-stroke, it may be different pre-divorce, post-divorce, the different things and the different ways life throws us a curveball. We may find different purpose. So I realized that we need six pillars plus. So that's the birth of the Paving the Path to Wellness program, which honors the body, the mind, and the joyful heart, the soul the spirit, however we want to talk about that. The healthy body, that's very much in the lifestyle medicine field with exercise, nutrition, sleep, the peaceful mind. 
stress reduction, still very heavy in, in the pillar of uh, last semester. We just did four. But we wanted to include more for the mind. Attitude. Having a shift in mindset and attitude and focusing in on positive psychology that Marty Seligman brought forth and really fathered and founded it. And that's about using the growth mindset. That's about focusing in on positive emotion, Barbara Fredrickson's work, and really thinking about how you talk to yourself. Because we can self-sabotage. All this can be going really well, and then we have self-sabotage. So learning how to be our own best friend, our own coach, that, that was very important in attitude. And then something I used to have to fight a little bit, not really fight, but do a lot of convincing on this next part for a, a peaceful mind, which was timeouts. So back in 2012, a decade ago, talking about timeouts, a lot of people didn't really resonate with that. We were still in go, 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 get it done, get it done, get it done. No time to rest, no time to stop, no time for vacation, because we all had to go, 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 go. And, and I had more difficulty explaining to people the power of this timeout, even though there was data on it. There's even more data now, but post-COVID, well... Hopefully, huh? uh, COVID, uh, getting through COVID up to this point of two years, we've learned a lot and plugging into our work life and being able to unplug from our work life, especially when we're at home and have timeouts and have time where we can connect with our families, where we can be away from social media, be away from the blue wavelength light emitting from all devices. Having these timeouts is so, so important. And don't we all cherish the idea of a vacation and a vacation away is, is so appealing now that we've been locked down for so long. But that's the peaceful mind part that, that wasn't really incorporated into the average uh, lifestyle medicine program with the six pillars. Then getting into this joyful heart, we bring in another pillar, a very important one, social connection. This used to also be something, is that really important? Well, with COVID, we know how important it is. And the research has been there though, Lisa, since 1979. So we know that when people feel socially connected, they are healthier. We know that those that feel lonely are the ones that are more likely to have morbidity and mortality is to suffer from disease and, and death. So we've known that for, for decades. COVID has helped bring it to the spotlight and even helped us create ways like Zoom, like ways we can connect that we never thought we could connect in, in that way prior to COVID. And the avoidance of risky substances comes in with Focusing in on natural sources of energy versus drinking the alcohol to feel better and you feel that will help you fall asleep quicker and it may help you fall asleep quicker, but it's going to disrupt your REM sleep later and you'll have disrupted sleep. So actually is not the, the panacea. It is, it is in fact can lead to very many problems. So what can we do to find natural sources of energy? And then... Lastly, with our joyful heart, it's that sense of purpose, which we have seen with COVID. Many people are changing jobs. They're tapping into what they really felt was their purpose when they were younger. 
and they want to live that purpose out. We're also finding physicians that have lost the sense of purpose that are in burnout and helping them tap back into their sense of purpose and consider what they want for their future is, is critical. You have these three realms, body, mind, and heart or soul and spirit. The fourth realm is that action piece. So you can, you can know all these things, talk about them, reflect on them, but then we, we want to take action. Ultimately, we want change in behavior. So setting goals and learning how to set SMART goals is critical. Having a variety in our lives of exercise, of fruits and vegetables, of friends, really important, of stress resiliency techniques. And then having this, this attitude, it goes back again to this mindset, this attitude of I'm an experimenter and the world is my experiment and I'm curious and I'm going to investigate. Every day I can investigate something new. It brings joy to this whole process of living, thriving, and not just surviving. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I love that you have in the Paving the Path to Wellness, we have a questionnaire, and there's five questions for each of the 12 steps. And, and you talk about this is a good starting point. And it makes so much sense because you might realize, wow, I'm a champion sleeper, but I have no mental resilience. Where do you find most people start? Or do you recommend where you're weak, where you're strong, or just wherever you're going to actually apply yourself and, you know, get it done? Terrific. Thank you for that question. And the Paving the Path to Wellness Wheel or Questionnaire is something that I collaborated with Harvard Health Publications on back in 2016. And I do hope people find it helpful. It basically goes through each of those steps that we just shared together and asks, as you said, five questions based on the guidelines and the research, the evidence that we know about the different pillars of lifestyle medicine, plus the areas I just mentioned. We want to have a starting point. We want to understand where we are, not to shame, blame, guilt, not to find fault, but to reflect, as you said, reflect, where are we now? And by looking at all the different areas, the 12 different areas in the program, you generally find places where you're doing really well, Find some places where you may have been doing well five years ago, but right now you're you're you have space for growth. We'll call it that. That is the the fun, the joy of practicing this with people, of coaching people around healthy behaviors. Is you look at this non-judgmentally and you say, "What do you think of it?" So the first step is to fill it out answer the questions, and then calculate your numbers and put it on the radar plot so you can see where you're strong and where you may be weak. And then what I do, where do you start? I say to the person I'm working with, what do you make of this wheel? And then they start talking and they say, I can't believe I haven't focused in on social connections. I can't believe with COVID and everything, I've just been so busy with work that I have really let those fall by the wayside. And then I say, okay, what would you like to start with? And I'm not kidding. A lot of times, this the very same person has that answer to the first question. The second question, exercise. And, you know, I'm really not exercising at all. And I, I really want to start exercising. So you can't actually predict. 
You know, people can see an area of weakness, but they may not want to tackle that right now. Something else may be lower hanging fruit for them. So in this case, exercise. So this person had been sitting, right, for hours in the day and decided to get a stationary bike that had a laptop stand so they could actually move throughout the day. And this changed so many things, often one change in this wheel. So when you start adding the exercise, then the cravings for the sweets go down, the energy goes up, and then you're starting to think, I'd love to catch up with my friend. Maybe I'll have a a connection either by Zoom, by phone call, or if you can, go out to eat, whatever the restrictions are for you at this point. But you will find that one change, maybe even in sleep, if you are able to sleep more, your stress will go down, your energy will go up, you'll feel more motivated to exercise. So one change. Now, every time I give a lecture or I'm on a podcast, Every single time people ask, and I get why they ask, they ask, which one should I do first? Which step, which pillar, what should I do first? The honest answer is you you must self-reflect. You must look at where you are in these different steps. Then think about it. Say where you want to be in a year from now with the exercise, nutrition, sleep, social connection, stress reduction, avoidance of risky substances. And then you must ask yourself, which one do I want to tackle now? And it is up to the person which one they want to tackle. Now, if you say, I'm overweight by my body mass index and my physician is concerned about my blood sugars, I really want to lose weight. What should I do first? Still, I'd love for us to think about sleep, to think about exercise, to think about social connection. Of course, think about nutrition. Sleep has an impact on our hormones. So when we don't sleep enough, our ghrelin goes up, and that's the one that makes us hungry. Our leptin goes down. That's the one that keeps us satiated. So I still, even if we're looking to lose weight, we can't just say, oh, just focus on food and food alone. I still think we need to look at the whole picture and it substances could be having a a playing a big part in this and and be a factor especially if drinking is is an issue so changing the drinking can really change the weight so when we think about someone who wants to lose weight we know that research shows us that looking at the diet and what people are consuming, what food they're putting in their mouth, when they're putting it and how much they're putting in their mouth does have a huge impact on their weight. That said, some people want to start with exercise. They want to feel stronger. Now this is great because often when you exercise, your cravings go down. You certainly build muscle. Now the caveat there is when you build muscle and you lose fat, you actually may gain a little weight because the muscle weighs more than the fat. So you have to be careful with, with that. But ultimately, that's much healthier for you. You're transforming your body. You're increasing your metabolic rate. And it will lead to sustained weight loss. So I believe that which one should I start with first requires you to reflect on the wheel and all the different factors that impact health, happiness, and well-being figure out where you want to go, 
And then what are you ready to do? What are you ready to change? What are you ready to tackle today? Yeah, I, I did mine and I, I did pretty well. I need some help with the stress and the timeouts. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you use for stress resiliency techniques now? I do deep breathing. I started meditating after years of not. I just, I fell off. I was only maybe like a few weeks and I was so proud of myself. And then, I don't know, it just kind of went away. So now this is a good reminder to bring it back. So I just got on TikTok and I've been having so much fun and it is really fun, but then I'm really bad about like wanting to see comments and stuff. And so I'm not good at just like do it and then, you know, check tomorrow. I'm like, oh my God, what did they, th- what did they say? What was it? You know, that instant gratification, like that's my weakness. Yeah. You make very good points here. And I think your listeners are probably relating in, in many ways. I have two thoughts. May I share them with you? Of course. Okay, great. So with the meditation, if you want to get back into it, there are some really wonderful apps. I'm not connected to any any apps, but there's Calm, there's Headspace. People tend to get back into a groove with these. The other thing, though, I want to mention is if you have another friend or maybe family member that would like to meditate with you at the same time, that can be really inspiring, encouraging, motivating, and keep us on track when we do it with a friend. Some people, meditation, it's very solo, and so this is not going to work for them. But we started doing meditations together at Mass General Hospital as physicians and providers. We would meet. Oh, that's great. Mornings and sit on the Zoom. So you could be doing this with people, your friends from California, or and you just Monday at eight, but all click in the Zoom. Someone can practice leading, or you could you could use a YouTube video to lead the two of you, or three of you, or five of you, whoever's online, and then it becomes social connection as well as meditation. So sometimes we need that to keep things on track. The second thing I want to mention with social media and TikTok and Twitter, that's when I do mostly, is you think to yourself, what's my goal with this? What what am I trying to do? So in your case, you're educating. Right. Right. That is your goal. And you're inspiring. So, all right. In order to meet that goal, I want to put forth a TikTok video a week, I'm not sure, whatever it might be, you sure. voice, I'm going to put forth that. And I do want to create a community, so I'm going to want to respond to comments. I don't need to do it right away, like you said. So you have a time or a day where it's either you know noontime that you put the TikTok video out and maybe it's on Tuesday. And then as you said, then you close it down. And on Wednesday, you respond. So you make it a little more scheduled a little more like work and you unless of course you're doing it to be social make friends and have fun now if that's the goal then you're on it when your friends are on it and you're socializing and and if you want to limit it that way then there's controls you can stop yourself from participating in any social media just by your controls on your computer so you can limit that way 
Does that make sense? Or is- I think that's such great advice. So one of the things I love too, Dr. Frades, is you talk about why it's important for people to have a personal mission statement. So what are some questions we should ask to create them? And also talk to us why you feel it's important. Great question for me to tackle. I love this one. So when we have a mission statement, we have a purpose. We can plan our day. For example, if we're trying to limit t- TikTok or if we're trying to go for a walk, or we can think about how our actions align with our mission statement or our purpose. So when we have a mission statement and we get to understand who am I, that's what a real question is. Who, who am I? And what am I going to do with my gifts, my talents, my strengths to make this world a better place? So these are the questions you would ask yourself when you're making a mission statement. First question would be, what am I good at? What do I love to do? What is my priority right now in this world? What do I cherish most at this time in my life? These questions. And you write the answers down. Then you say to yourself, so each day, my ikigai, my reason for being, my reason for getting up in the morning, the ikigai, let's create this mission, this ikigai, knowing my strengths, what I love, what I cherish, what I'm good at, what I prioritize. What will I put forward each day in this world to make the world a little bit better in some way? So after you can you answer those, it might be for you, I'm just guessing things, but I'd say... So I'm Lisa Davis. I am an amazing communicator and connector. I am going to help people better understand how to lead a healthy life and thrive while doing that, avoiding diseases when possible, and putting joy into their every step and every move that they can make. And when they have struggles, understanding that these things will wax and wane, come and go like waves on a beach, and they'll make it through. And my goal is to get people to embrace this, to live this, and to really flourish while they're on the planet. That was brilliant. I'm like, okay, so may I steal that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put it everywhere. I'm going to put a big sign. It's amazing. I know, I've known you for a while, right? And I, I follow you on social media in Twitter. And so I know this about you. So you've got to sit down and reflect first and maybe even talk to a friend who knows you well. So when I'm working with physicians and other professionals and they feel stressed out to the maximum and their plate is overflowing and they can't go on because there's not enough time in the day to accomplish everything that they have signed on for. This is when we sit back and we say, let's make a mission statement. Let's understand your purpose and let's look at everything you're doing and see how it aligns with that mission statement, with that purpose. And the things that don't align with your mission statement and your purpose, those are the things to try to delegate to others or to give to others that might be looking for things to do. Perhaps a younger colleague that wants a project. And it may be in alignment with their purpose. And so thinking about how you can really streamline yourself, your work, so that you aren't overstressed. It's really a way of making each day as impactful as possible without 
running 100 miles per hour, mindlessly jumping from Zoom call to Zoom call, getting in the car, picking up this piece of dry cleaning or this food for the preparation for that night. Instead, it's being able to sit back and plan the day, plan the evening. Instead of feeling like you're putting out fires all the time, feel like you can sit, relax, plan a day out, and really put your best foot forward and really enjoy the things you're doing. Be mindful about it. You need to have time to sit and really enjoy the experiences you're having, like this podcast, right? We we said it amount of time, but I, I gave myself half hour extra because I wanted to be able to enjoy this, not feel like I'm running to the next meeting. So, so, so much of the stress that we are experiencing when it's in our control, like our schedule, we need to put these, these cushions in so that we can fully absorb the experience that we're in at that present moment. Oh, I so agree. That's why I love doing the show. I get so engaged and it just, it just, it's my purpose and it just, it fills me up. You know, when I brought you in, I alluded to lifestyle medicine, especially during these times. And you wrote a great article for Newsweek, Opinion for Extra Protection from COVID's Worst Effects, Look to Lifestyle Medicine, Beth Frady's faculty, they didn't put MD, faculty member, Harvard Medical School, 3122 at 8 a.m. Tell us a little bit about this. This is such a great article. Thank you so much. Yeah, you can find it online. And I do think at the end, they do put all the credentials of the oh, good. So just so you can find it there. And the interesting thing is COVID has been disastrous in so many ways and difficult for so many people. The only one kind of shining light I can glimmer of light I can get out of this is that it it really has pointed out the power of lifestyle medicine and the various studies that have been completed and knowing where people's pain points have been during COVID. When you look to lifestyle medicine and these six pillars, you can see how lifestyle medicine could really help. So for example, when we exercise, we often talk about it as we already have in this podcast with weight. Now, weight is an important factor for health and in terms of becoming uh, obese or having trouble with your blood sugars, with diabetes, or even heart disease and high blood pressure. It, it has a factor there. It also, though, it impacts your immune system. So that's the interesting thing. Now with COVID, we're looking at our pillars and we're seeing how important they are for preventing disease and also how important they are for our immune system. And that's been the focus really for two years for so many physicians, patients. And and when we look at this article and we look at the six pillars, we can see that diet, which is no surprise to anyone listening, I'm sure, has an impact on our immune system. And we can eat for a healthy immune system. There's so much research now about our microbiome and feeding our microbiome. And, and having fiber in our diet is, is so healthy because that's, in fact, what the microbiome feeds on and can create these short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, pyruvate, 
And these short-chain fatty acids have an impact on our metabolism, on our immune system. So when we think about sleep, many people know that when they're sleep deprived, they are stressed out, angry, their tempers are, uh, they flare more easily, shall we say. But it's also really important to realize that with sleep, I alluded to the fact that it has an impact on ghrelin and leptin. So our our satiety, uh, how hungry we feel and how many uh, calories we consume in the day. When we sleep less, we consume more calories, research shows us. It also has an impact on our immune system. So you look at social connection. Social connection, there's research that, that shows when people are connected and when people feel like they are supported, they actually do better in terms of their healthy habits. They actually will exercise more. They, in fact, will be more engaged with their other healthy habits because they're the support system around them. We know that short, even short interactions like this one we're having today or you may have with someone at a grocery store, short positive interactions can serve to improve our mood. And mood has an impact on how we lead our lives day to day. And if we are going to take the precautions and pay attention to washing our hands and uh, being safe uh, when we were in the middle of lockdown and uh, not even understanding how COVID worked. And then risky substances, when we are only having alcohol and we are focused on getting the next drink and we're not eating food, our immune systems are going to be impacted. And so so is our mental health and our social connections and our ability to work. And all of these pillars that we talk about, they're actually interconnected. And that's where the wheel you and I just spoke about, where we look at all the pillars plus some positive psychology, some purpose... We realize how interconnected all these different behaviors are. So generally, when we sit back, we reflect, and we focus on one, good things happen to the others as well. Dr. Frades, you are always so incredible. Was there anything else you wanted to add today? And then, of course, we've got to get your website and all the ways to get your great books and workbooks and your beautiful Twitter, everything. You're so kind, Lisa. No, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some information with your listeners. And I do hope that there are some pearls that people have taken away and maybe they'll have a better day because of them. Oh, absolutely. Well, tell us all the ways we can find you and your great work. Thank you. The books, so Paving the Path to Wellness Workbook the handbook, the lifestyle medicine handbook and the teen lifestyle medicine handbook are all on Amazon. The publisher is healthy learning. You can find them there as well. I believe they are available through the American college of lifestyle medicine. They have a bookstore there and I have a website, www.bethfradiesmd.com. And then my Twitter which is really the only social media I'm engaged with and, and adept, <laughs> adept at, is um, at Beth Frady's MD. 
Beth Frady's MD. So the handle, Beth Frady's MD. Great. Dr. Frady, thank you so much. You're always welcome back here on Talk Healthy today. You just make everything so much better and give us so much hope. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Protecting your heart is key to long-term health for us ladies, but having a healthy heart requires more than just exercising and eating right. Research shows that the ubiquinol form of CoQ10 promotes a general heart health, works as a powerful antioxidant, and improves the quality of life in women over 40. For all adults over 40, taking a ubiquinol supplement is one of the best ways to fuel your heart, lungs, and other organs. To find out if ubiquinol is right for you, visit ubiquinol.org. That's ubiquinol.org. U-B-I-Q-U-I-N-O-L dot org. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy today. Please do rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you want some behind the scenes on Talk Healthy today or a chance monthly to win my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex, which is a memoir, cookbook, healthy lifestyle guide. It's The title is just a play on words. Please go to www.lisadavismph.com. Sign up for my newsletter. And once a month, you'll be getting some great information as well as being entered into a contest to win my book. So again, go to www.lisadavismph.com. Get more on Talk Healthy Today and keep coming back. There's always great information. Thank you.